The focus of this parak is when a woman must make a shavua, an oath before receiving her kasuba. Now the previous Mishnah showed us how the man, whilst he is still alive, or before he divorces her, is able to exempt her from having to make a shavua upon collecting her kasuba. And the truth is, whenever a woman comes to collect her kasuba, if her husband claims that she has received it already, since she is able, whilst she is still married, to choose to receive her kasuba early, if the husband claims that she did indeed receive it early, then she may not receive the kasuba now unless she makes a shavua that she has not yet received it. Now this Mishnah continues from the end of the previous Mishnah, where the Mishnah brought a formula which the man can say to his wife in order to exempt her from needing to make a shavua upon collecting the kasuba. And this is even if he would die before she manages to collect it. And so the Mishnah says, If she went straight from the burial of her husband after he died, straight back to her father's house, or she returned to her father-in-law's house, the and she did not become the person who was responsible financially for the inheritance of her husband. She didn't take care of the money and the finances of the inheritance and she wasn't involved in this. In that case, in Ayosha Mashbiyan saw the inheritors, for example, her husband's sons, they are not able to make her swear that she didn't take any money before receiving the kasuba, since we're talking about a case where her husband exempted her from having to make a shavua whether she received part of her kasuba previously or not. And the Mishnah is also adding that she does not need to swear about the time in between her husband's death and him being buried. It's all very nice that she went straight back after the burial, but what about until he was buried? In fact, she would have been the one who was involved in his finances then, because she would be sorting out his burial. But the reason why she does not make a shavua about having taken any money during that period is because it is a mitzvah to bury one's relative as quickly as possible. It's considered to be dishonorable to the dead body if it is left for a long time unburied. And so everything will be done in a rush, and it's very likely that during all of this rush, she might have misplaced a couple of coins. She might not exactly have calculated correctly. Maybe she spent too much on the burial maybe she took some for herself. Because it is all done in a rush, she is likely to have taken some of the money. And therefore, if she would be forced to make a shavua, it is likely to be false, perhaps without her even realizing. And therefore, she is not made to make a shavua about that period of time. And since she was not involved at all in the money after the burial, she doesn't need to make a shavua about that. And she also doesn't need to make a shavua about having taken any of the kasuba whilst her husband was still alive, since her husband exempted her from such a shavua. The Ibn Asapatrapa. But if she did become responsible for the finances, the inheritors are able to force her to make a shavua about all of the financial dealings which she has in the future after her husband's burial. They're only not allowed to make her swear about the past, about her having taken part of the kasuba during her husband's lifetime. And the Mishnah is adding that even though we learnt a couple of Mishnahis ago about the concept of Gilgal shavua, which means that if somebody has a valid reason to make somebody swear about one thing, he's able to make him swear about other things even if he hasn't got such a valid reason for the other things. So in this case, since they are able to make her swear that she didn't take any money during her financial dealings and taking care of the money and the inheritance after the burial, I might have thought that via Gilgal Shavua, they can also force her to make a Shavua that she didn't take any of the Kasuba during her husband's lifetime. So the mission is telling us that no, they cannot make her make such a Shavua since her husband did exempt her 
from making any shavua to do with taking the kasuba during his lifetime. Mishnah Zion, as we mentioned, if a husband, if a man divorces his wife and she comes to claim the kasuba and he claims that she has already received it, the halach is that he can force her to make a shavua to swear that she hasn't received any of it and only then she would take the kasuba money. In the following list of cases in the Mishnah, even if the husband does not force her to make a shavua, the base then will do so sort of on his behalf. First, the Apagemis Kasubasa, one who does take part of her Kasuba and she admits that she has received part of her Kasuba, even if the husband is not making her make a Shavua, the basin can do so on behalf of the husband and she cannot take the rest of the Kasuba without making a Shavua about how much she has received. And this is an order that at the time that she receives part of the kasuba, she will make sure to know exactly how much she is receiving. Otherwise, she won't be so particular about knowing the exact amount. But we need her to be in the knowledge of how much she is receiving. And so the Chachom said that if she receives part of it now and part of it later upon being divorced, so she would need to make a shavuah the next time in order that she know exactly how much she takes each time so that she doesn't come to take more than she is entitled to. Alright, if one witness testifies that it is partly paid, that she has received part of the kasuba, she can only receive the rest by making a shavua, even if the husband is not demanding it, this is an order to make the husband happy. Since there is somebody who is claiming that she has received part of it, and she is claiming that she hasn't received any of it, so in order to receive the entire kasuba, without the husband complaining, the Chachom said that she should make a shavua. Now, if she is receiving the kasuba not from the husband, then the basin would also make her make a shavua, since her husband might have forced her to make a shavua, and he's not here, so the basin acts on his behalf, since he might have forced her to make a shavua, they do so, being that he is not present, and therefore, if she is collecting the kasuba from the proper of the inheritors if her husband died, or from property which her husband has sold. As we have learnt, there is as nachosim. She has a hold on the property even if he sells it. But if she does come to collect it from the buyers, she would need to make a shavua. And any time that she collects the kasuba not in front of him, for example, if he divorced her and then he went abroad, she can only collect it by making an oath that she has not yet received any of the kasuba, since if the husband was present, he might have made her make a shavua. Mishnachis, this Mishnah elaborates on all of the cases we just brought. What is the case where she has received part of her kasuba? If her kasuba was originally a thousand zuz, so even though the obligation of the kasuba is only 100 or 200 zuz, there is also the toisefas kasuba, the additional part which he is able to add on at the beginning of the marriage. So her kasuba was a thousand zuz, and he claims to her that you have received your entire kasuba, and she claims that she only receives 100 zuz. In that case, even if the husband is not demanding a shavua, she may only collect the rest by making a shavua in order that she be, be particular and she know and take note of how much she is collecting the first time because now she knows that the next time she comes to collect she'll have to make a shavua about how much she has received. Next case, if one witness
witness testifies that it has been partly paid. Kate said, what is the case? And he claims to her that you have received your entire ksuba over here, Marius, but he, she says, I haven't received any of it. And one witness testifies that it has been partly paid. In general, one witness is considered to be nothing. So according to the strict letter of the law, he wouldn't be believed. Nevertheless, in order to please the husband, she can only receive the entire amount of the kasuba if she makes a shavua that she has not received any of it. Next case, if she is taking it from property on which she had a hold and it's been sold, Kate said, what's the case? If he sold his property to other people, and she is collecting the kasuba from the buyers, she may only collect it by making a shavua. Next case, what is the case where she is collecting it from the property of the inheritors? Mace, if he died, and he left behind property for the orphans, for his sons, and she is collecting her kasuba from the inheritors, being that she has been widowed, she's entitled to her kasuba. She can only collect it by making a shavua that she has not yet received it. And finally, what is the case where she is collecting it not in front of him? If he went abroad to a faraway place and he's not available, and she is collecting her kasuba not in his presence, she would only be able to collect it by making a shavua that she has not yet received her kasuba. Now we learned a few Mishnahs ago in Mishnah Hey. That if a man tells his wife that although I have the right to make you make a shavua that you haven't received the kasuba, I'm foregoing on that right. And he makes a statement that I will not be able to make you make a shavua. We learn that that works. As well as that, the Mishnah told us that he is also able to talk about his inheritors. He can say that if I die and you end up collecting it from my inheritors, then I am exempting you also in that situation from having to make a shavua that you haven't received your kasuba yet. Contrary, Shimini has not got the power to exempt her from a shavua in such a case because it is no longer his money. Rishimun and Rishimun says, Any time where she is claiming her kasuba from the inheritors, the inheritors can force her to make a shavua that she hasn't yet received any of the kasuba because it is now theirs. And it's irrelevant if the if her husband said that he won't have the ability to make her make a shavua. And if he said that the inheritors won't have the ability, he has no right to do that because it is no longer his money and therefore they can force her to make a shavua. And regarding what we learned earlier on in the Perek in Mishnah Dalad, that a man can make his wife swear about any of the financial dealings which she's involved in, if she is his shopkeeper, and perhaps about anything which she does in the house, we learned that he is able to make her swear that she didn't take anything for herself. According to Rishimun, in a case where the Tanakama said in Mishnah Dalad, that a husband is able to make his wife make a shavua of him, and it is not a case to do with her claiming her kasuba, rather it's a case about the general financial dealings which she was involved in, taking care of her husband's money. When it comes to that shavua, his inheritors cannot make her make a shavua, and at that matter, neither can the husband. It's just since the first part of the mission is talking about the inheritors, Rabbi Shimon continues talking about the inheritors, but really Rabbi Shimon holds that a man does not have the right to make his wife swear about any of the financial things which she is involved in in his money. He is arguing on Mishnah Dalad, and so it comes out that there are three opinions regarding the matter. There were two opinions there in Mishnah Dalad, and Rabbi Shimon is now a third opinion. Mishnah Tess, although of course part of the arrangement and the decree of the kasuba, when the Abonnan instituted the kasuba, part of that is that it needs to be written down. 
However, there were certain locations where the custom was not to write down the kasuba at the beginning of the marriage, and in such places, of course, she would still receive the kasuba upon being divorced or widowed. Now, in such a location, if she comes to Beistin and her tzio get, she brings out a get, but anyway, kasuba, and she doesn't have a kasuba with it, because it was in a, in a location where they didn't write a kasuba. And she is claiming that she didn't receive her kasuba yet from her husband, and here's the get, so she's proving that she is divorced, and she is claiming her kasuba, says the mission, go kasubasa. She can collect her kasuba, since she's in a location where the custom was not to write down the kasuba. Now what's stopping her to just going to lots of different bote din and giving them her get, showing her, showing them her get, and each base team will force the husband to give her the kasuba again and again. So the Gemara explains that in such a situation they would tear the get and also give a receipt to the husband showing that he has paid her the kasuba. So she would not be able to claim the kasuba more than once. Now in the next case we're also discussing where the location had the custom not to write down the kasuba. However, this individual man did write down the kasuba. As well as that, the Gemara explains we're talking about a case where there were no witnesses to the divorce. There are no other witnesses who say that she was divorced and she comes to base then with kasuba. She comes with the kasuba document because he did write it even though that was not the custom. The Enemar get, she has not got a get with the kasuba. Here, Meres, she claims, Ovad Giti, I lost my get, but meanwhile I've still got my kasuba and I haven't yet received the kasuba money, so he is obligated to give it to me. But he says that she has already received her kasuba. And Ovad Shivori, I lost my receipt, which the Basin wrote down saying that I have paid the kasuba. And what he is really claiming is that the reason why she hasn't got the get is because since in that location the custom was not to write down the kasuba, she quite cheekily went to Basin with just the get. And like we learned in the first sentence of the Mishnah, the Basin would see the get, it wasn't torn, torn up yet, so they would give her, they would award her the kasuba, force the husband to pay her, and then they would tear the get. And she didn't bring the kasuba to them because the custom in that place was not to write the kasuba. And now she goes to the next base then without the get because it's torn already. So that would show that she already has received the kasuba. And this time she shows them the kasuba. So he is claiming that she already collected her kasuba in a different base then using her get. And I received a receipt about it, but I've lost the receipt. In such the case, the mission is going to tell us that she may not receive the kasuba. They both have equal claims, and since in that location, the way that a woman generally collects her kasuba is by showing her get, and she hasn't got the get, and they don't really use kasuba documents in that location. So it's all very nice that she has the kasuba document, but since she is not coming with the get, and the husband has a good claim, she may not take her kasuba unless she can prove that she is entitled to the kasuba, and that she has not yet taken the kasuba. Now the Mishnah brings another similar case, and this is regarding a prisbal. What exactly is a prisbal? So during the Shemitah year, which is one every seven years, it's forbidden to work the land. And another aspect of Shemitah is that at the end of the Shemitah year, all loans are cancelled. If somebody owes somebody money, and he hasn't yet paid by the end of the Shemitah year, the loan is cancelled and he will not need to pay after that. Now it came to a point that as it got nearer to Shemitah, people would refuse to lend other people money because they would say that it's likely I'm not going to end up getting this money back and therefore Hillel and the Chachomim instituted a concept of prusbol. Prusbol is where one gives over his loans and the rights to his loans to based in. Now though Shemitah cancels the loans of regular people, it does not cancel the loans which are associated with the based in. So through this enactment of Hillel, people would still be willing to lend other people money close to the Shemitah year. So what happens if the lender who is owed money, he takes out the document which says that he is owed money, that he lent money to this person, and it comes to base then 
let's say, a couple of months after Shmitah, the Inamo Prusbal and he has not got the Prusbal document with him, and he claims that he lost the document. In this case as well, he may not collect the money because he's got no proof that he indeed did write a Prusbal. He should not have lost that document. That is the document which allows him to collect the money afterwards, so if he lost it, he has no proof that he is still able to collect the money, and therefore he indeed may not collect the money. From the dangerous time and onwards, this is referring to a time where the non-Jewish nation who was ruling forbade the Jews from keeping mitzvahs, and so out of fear, people would burn their documents which showed that they were keeping aloha, so they would write a prisbol and then burn it. And a woman who would receive a get would also immediately burn it out of fear. If so, how would they collect their loan or their kasuba? They would have witnesses who saw them lend it with a prisbol or would see her being divorced, and with the testimony of those witnesses, a woman would be able to collect her ksuba without the get document, and the balchayv who lent money and is owed the money, he would be able to collect his money even without the prisbol. Right, continues the Mishnah. If a woman comes to base then with shnei git and shnei ksubais, two get documents and two ksubas, and the dates written on each document show that a man married her with a ksuba, then divorced her, then remarried her and wrote another ksuba, and then divorced her. So in that case, certainly she would collect two ksubais. What happens if she has shtei ksubais for get echad? Two ksuba documents, but only one get. And the date written on both of the ksubais are before the date of the get. Or if she has a kasuba and two getin. So in this case, he married her with a kasuba, divorced her, and then remarried her without another kasuba. There was a ksuba together with the original marriage, and then a get because he then divorced her, and then he remarried her without giving her another ksuba, and then he died. In these last three cases, in a she would only collect one ksuba. And the mission explains the last couple of cases. And we've actually seen this once already in the Masechta, one who divorces his wife and then remarries her. The understood agreement, unless spoken out otherwise, is that on condition that they are continuing with the original kasuba, he is remarrying her. Since she did not yet manage to collect her original kasuba, it is assumed that they are really continuing where they left off, and he is not agreeing to a new kasuba. Similarly, Cotton Shesio Oviv, a boy under the age of Bar Mitzvah who was married off by his father, Ksubosa Kayemes, her Kasuba remains once he becomes Bar Mitzvah and their marriage becomes valid mid Araisa. Shabanaskin Kima because on that condition he stayed married to her. And the main point of the mission over here is that even if she was a Basula, she had never had relations at the beginning of her marriage while he was still under Bar Mitzvah. And at that time it was only valid mid Rabbanon. So now that he becomes Bar Mitzvah, and only now be- the marriage begins on a Mid-Araisa level, well, she's no longer a Basula. So I might have thought that her Kasuba would only be 100 Zuz. So the Mishnah is telling us, no, the understood agreement from the fact that they're continuing the marriage, which they really began earlier on, the understood agreement is that her Kasuba remains as 200 Zuz, like that of a Basula, and ends off the pair at Gershon of Imai, if a man converts together with his wife, and he wrote a Kasuba whilst they were non-Jewish, because on that condition they remain married and this is the understood agreement between them.